This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Road studios in the crap part of Soho, and from my wagon, road from a sport wagon, trying to make it through the back roads of Southampton to get my new cable modem back to my house to get my Wi-Fi network back working. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. I didn't understand a word of that apart from, God, life's a struggle sometimes, Dave in it? <laughs> cable modems. Anytime any sentence that involves cable modem, it's just not a fun day. Oh, but you know what is a fun day? This day. Because welcome to our end of days. Holy crap. England won a penalty shootout in our lifetime Anything is possible, Davo. Let's snap on our Gareth Southgate waistcoats. Let's dive right in. To the football. Uh, you know me, I'm going to make a quick toast. I don't like to be hyperbolic, do I? No. So I'm going to start by raising a glass that I hope will put England's heroic round of 16 feet into like the proper, the historical context that it deserves. I'm going to offer America a revised Cliff Notes English history as follows. 1066, William the Conqueror leads the Norman conquest of England. We didn't have John Stones in defence, so we lost that battle. 1874, old copper knob, Winston Churchill was born. 1947, David Bowie, born. And then 2018, Jordan Pickford's little wrists his tiny little steely wrists secure World Cup penalty shootout victory and give us, David, they give us the fleeting feeling that everything's going to be all right. It's not, but they give us the feeling that it is. I can't believe you missed out the most significant event. 2018, Rog becomes an American citizen, renounces British citizenship. The curse of Rog is lifted. <laughs> England win penalty shootout. England, oh... Rog, can you please become an American citizen and renounce your citizenship every, every World Cup year? If that's what it takes, I'll do it. Because to me, it's a win-win, <laughs> Davo. I get to be an American and England get to just shed that self-loathing. But I want to raise my bud to the feelings that England allowed us to feel on Tuesday night. I raise this glass, bud fam, blood fam, to the feelings that we all experienced together. The kind of feelings that... I imagine I'd only feel if I once looked out of my window and in the garden, just casually strolling across the turf, there was a real live unicorn just grazing away quite happily. Because that's what it felt like, David. It felt like magic realism. It's so interesting. I had some South African friends over last night and they came over to my house and in the garden, they saw fireflies for the first time in their life. They'd never seen fireflies, Rog. And they had this look of wonder on their faces that is exactly equivalent to any, any person of British persuasion or really any football persuasion watching what happened the other night in Moscow. Unicorns, fireflies, Eric Dyer, all of them, all of them. I never thought I would live to see the day. I mean, up top, I should say that at kickoff, I realised that watching England play World Cup football is just a singular, uniquely remarkable experience when... You've got like the, the, the trying to feel a surging optimism uh, grounded in, in, the, in, in the youth, 
in the, in, in the talent that we know we have in that collective Southgate-y kind of feeling around this team that exists in the present. And you have that and you hold it dear. But alongside it, it coexists with a what can only be described as like a throbbing, open, septic wound of just countless self-sabotaging failures past. And watching the game, you're just forever suspended between oh, a bold confidence that, that you've tried to instill in me, Davo, and a sickening, fearful mania, just poised between ecstasy and soul-crushing doom, between love and self-hate, between pleasure, between pleasure and pain. How do you experience it? I mean, I think you, Rod, are a lot more susceptible to arguments that an entire country's history takes the field with them. You believe in karma. You believe in all of these things that happen in football. And at the same time, you believe that evil always wins. You've got lots of contradictory superstitions. <laughs> um, very few of these players have ever played in the World Cup for England before. Only five of the squad went to Brazil where they performed terribly. And yet, just like a lot of World Cup games, they lost two very close games, 2-1, and then had an insipid dead rubber draw against Costa Rica. And in reality, what's happened in this tournament is they won one very close game. They beat Panama, who might not have been that good. Their reserves lost to Belgium's reserves. And then they squeaked out a victory against Colombia. But it has been done with a level of calm, with a level of collective, with a level of, I mean, Rog, I'm going to use a word which we just don't think of around England football teams, preparation. Yes and sort of like mental strength, which we're not used to really seeing around the national football team. We've seen it in the cricket, we've seen it in the rugby, we've seen it with our Olympic teams, but we've not really seen it around our national team. And I'm just delighted for the boys. What a lovely bunch of boys, Rod. As you said earlier, a likeable, a likeable England team. It is a likeable England team. Likeable teams don't always win. And at kickoff, I did, there was a sense of uncertainty because, as you say, we still didn't know how good England were before they kicked off. And, and it was calming at the beginning to see them thrive. They had an explosive start in an explosive game. England with that confident, joyous, hungry football, trying to control the game. Colombia, Sean of James, Rodriguez, they sat back. They were prepared to go toe-to-toe, hand-to-hand. They, they, they seemed to be like a coil fist that was ready to strike. And, and the game, it, it just became a slightly wobbly, warped affair once the players started a test, American referee Mark Geiger, first big decision, the barrier's headbutt of poor Jordan Henderson, um, which, I mean, I'll just say it, it was in the area, a headbutt is a headbutt, it should have been a red. You, you don't be like, well, it was kind of a headbutt, it was kind of a romantic, loving nuzzle of a headbutt, so I'm going to arbitrarily give it a yellow. But I felt like as soon as he kind of bottled that first big decision, Geiger, you want to see him thrive as an American, but they smell his lack of confidence, his lack of command, his lack of poise. Elite footballers smell that like, like sharks smelling blood in the water. He then became kind of wobbly, inconsistent on what was a yellow, what wasn't. And it felt like for that middle portion of the game, it was really about Geiger losing control of the game and Colombia testing the hell out of that. Colombia, Rod, it was sort of like... Watford at their very worst, but nowhere near as clever. They were just fouling everyone at any point. I mean, I know the South American press saw this game a little bit differently, but I'm not sure I've seen many dirty displays by a World Cup team. 
I mean, they, they were just trying to knife fight England. They knew England were young. They knew they didn't have Hammers. And for much of that game, it seemed to me, I mean, I'd love Everton to play this way, to be candid. They were just trying to throw their opponent off their own game and then use that last 50 minutes to suddenly step up and, and try and force their way back into it. I, I, I will say about Geiger, America didn't make the tournament. Somehow, and I'm not sure how, American journalists have become the subject of mirth for the global press pack. And now Mark oh, Geiger now, now Mark Geiger just makes it a dark hat-trick for the US. Probably the worst World Cup since all the ones that we missed in the, in the 60s and the 70s. In terms of the football, at OR Raj summed up what ensued with the tweet, CONCACAF Gold Cup qualifier suddenly broken out. And it did become... A game that Colombia wanted where they threw England off. But also, England were just like set pieces. That's our thing. And they got one, the penalty. Carlos Sanchez essentially acted out the first 12 pages of the joy of sex on Harry Kane. You, you love that. I'm not sure that it was the first 12 pages. I think it might have been the middle when you start experimenting with new positions, <laughs> Ross. But I, mean, I have a feeling that Harry Kane might now be pregnant with Sanchez's son. He'll do whatever it takes yeah. for the cause, for the cause of England. And when that penalty was given, of course, we immediately revised our opinion on American referee Mark Geiger and said, that man should get a knighthood. But he, you have to call those now. You made this point. You have to call those penalties now because you don't want to be embarrassed by VAR. Yeah, and VAR went and VAR confirmed that it was a penalty. Um, and this is why we are seeing so many more penalties called in this World Cup. Referees just have to do it or they're going to be made to look stupid by the VAR robot. And Harry Kane uh, gets a penalty. He wins it in such sensational way. He manages to make his way through that NBA-like screen that Gareth Southgate has set up. And yeah, and it's his penalty to take. And I'm not sure that there was ever any doubt that he was going to make it. Well, you know, you say that and, and we're able to agree because it was, again, a Harry Kane thrashing penalty. That's all he probably practices right now on the training ground. But he had to wait about four minutes to take that penalty while the Colombians quite yeah. shamelessly and rather wonderfully scuffed the penalty spot with their cleats. I have not yeah. seen an Englishman so clinical who does not wilt under the crucible of pressure from the spot that mental tenacity. I was trying to think of an adjective, Davo, that describes Harry Kane's mental focus. And the only adjective I could come up with, he's almost German. He might be yeah. the last German no, left in the World Cup. German. Britons are of, you know, many of Anglo-Saxon stock, Rog. And in some ways, to say he's German, it's really like saying he's sort of like a throwback Englishman in just a way that Gareth Southgate is a throwback Englishman using that most laudable of English qualities, which is understatement and leadership through waistcoat. being calm. Yeah, he's been his, and his waistcoat. He's just being very calm, keeping everybody very cool. And that's what British tend to do is under pressure. It's the whole keep calm and carry on thing. That's how we survive um, the blitz. And Harry Kane steps up. He never has a moment of anything that looks like self-doubt on his face at any point. And he steps up. And he just thrashes it, thrashes it straight down the middle at speed, power. Cue the game becoming just what the English press have a adjective to describe what ensued. Two housing teams just working the referee. And that was Colombia's game plan to provoke, to goad, trying to, I think, get a red card out of that English team to give themselves uh, an, a, a, the advantage that they lost with James. 
um, being out for the game. I mean, it was like watching full-on hockey pests all over the field, like watching 11 Colombian Sean Averys. Mark Geiger out of his depth. England couldn't cut Colombia open in the final third, which does remain a huge worry, to be honest. They can't score in open play. And in the 93rd minute, Colombia punished them. England, who'd lived by the set piece, died by the set piece. And it was Jerry Mina, his third World Cup goal, the most by a defender, I think, tying Paul Breitner's record in a World Cup. I mean, it was pretty devastating. I thought we'd all agreed, world, not today, death, not today. We'd been within seconds of victory. And as soon as that ball bounced in, it felt like we'd lost, David. It all felt so spursy. What did the feelings inside your body tell you? It was a terrible moment. And yet I went and watched the body language of three people on that field. Go on. Harry Kane, Jordan Pickford, Jordan Henderson. And the three of them, honestly, were giants. Even though England definitely got pinned back in that final minute and a half of regular time, definitely did not have a first good period of extra time. It's just the body language on those three people, I think, spoke volumes about the preparation of this side. To me, the double whammy about that last second goal was that Southgate had subbed on players to shut the game down. Eric Dyer, not to control it. And for me, extra time just became a grinding sickener. I mean, we delighted at the Japan-Belgium round the 16 game. It, that felt twee like a Wes Anderson movie. This one suddenly felt like Wes Craven had like stepped up. Eli Roth had stepped up to helm the match direction of the England game. I mean, England just seemed exhausted. They couldn't complete a pass anymore. They couldn't move forward. Felt like the soldiers on the beach in the movie Dunkirk, that the tide's turning. How can you tell? The bodies, the bodies are coming back. And I started to wonder, I did in that in extra time, Davo, just felt so dark, everything. I asked myself, with my nipple clamps on, why do we watch football? Because watching chunks of that extra time, it was just such abject, savage misery. You sound far more optimistic than I did. Well, yeah, and also, like, Eric Dyer was clearly bored on because he's going to be one of the penalty takers in the event of the game, but also to try and change it. The problem was that he brought Raheem Sterling off, and Raheem Sterling, who comes in for a lot of flack, certainly by the British media, Rog, Raheem Sterling came off, and Raheem Sterling sucks up so much attention. He makes teams keep such a high line. Yeah. Jamie Vardy just does not have the same effect. And Eric Dyer, with Jordan Henderson pushed forward, is horribly exposed there in front of the defence, and... Suddenly, England pen back. However, second half of extra time and started to assert themselves back into the game. And, you know, momentum is such an important thing in games, in halves of football, in penalty shootouts. And so I must say, before the penalty shootout, I was starting to feel actually pretty good. The second they went to penalty shootout, I just descended. I, I fell off a cliff. I felt immediately doomed. I mean, six defeats in seven previous shootouts is the England record. I mean, some of, I'll say this, this makes me look pathetic, but I'll say this to you. Some of my most, (laughs) the most traumatic memories I had as a kid revolve around watching England try and fail in penalty shootouts. We went out the 1990 World Cup, the 1998 World Cup, the 2006 World Cup, I mean, it it felt like I was not about to watch penalty shootouts, but more a national trauma remake itself in like a 
a mashup of Groundhog Day and the Human Centipede. It was really, really dark. I do want to thank Jonathan Tannenwald, our friend from the Philadelphia Inquirer. When I needed a little branch of positivity, he tweeted, the Eagles win the Super Bowl this year. The Capitals win the Stanley Cup this year. Maybe England can win a World Cup penalty shootout this year. And I read that in your voice, Dave. I did, I did, because you tweeted something at the same time, actually, right before the shootout. I don't know if you remember. It should go on the record. You tweeted, whatever happens in this shootout, this young England team have made me love watching my national team again. Hashtag England till I die. Go on, Dave. I've gone on record for years, is I just do not believe that penalty shootouts are legitimate ways to end World Cup games. And I cannot believe that nobody is willing to sort of experiment with something better, even potentially doing the penalty shootout before the match so that the team who knows the ties, one team knows that the tie is going to be good enough for them, one knows that the tie isn't. But I've been really proud of this England team, the way they've conducted themselves, the way they've played, the way they've been managed. They've given me more hope. And you know what? For the first time in a long time, I've enjoyed watching this English team play football. Yeah, you're right. The touches between Ali and Sterling and Lingard didn't really come off in this game. But for me, just watching three English centre-backs and wing-backs pass the ball out of defence to each other, watching a goalkeeper who can release a player on the wing, who can hit an accurate ball out to, uh, out to the left side or the right side, watching a team with actual moves, Rog, with actually rehearsed routines from set pieces, with corner takers who are not the people that you really want to be heading the ball in the box. It's just, it has been such a joy watching this England team. Even had we lost, this penalty shootout, it would have been enough for me. Yeah, I loved it. However, Roger, you I've said, got to admit you... something to you. In 2012, when Chelsea won the Champions Leagues on penalties against Bayern Munich in Munich, and I look at the television and I'm like, no, I'm not having it. And I turned it off and I went for a walk. Came back five minutes later, ten minutes later, turned on my phone and Chelsea had won the Champions League. I made the commitment right then that I would not be watching any more penalty shootouts involving England or Chelsea. So I was at the golf club. I left my son, George, with my son, Joe, to monitor the shootout. And I went for a long walk down to the tennis courts. What? Down to the tennis courts and all the way back. Yeah, didn't watch. Didn't watch a moment of it. Did you say, did you say the most English, the English thing of all time and say, I may be some time and then walk off into the exactly. Arctic and just lay down in the snow? Or did you feel that you won the Champions League for Chelsea? Because it was definitely you hearing this story. I have no doubt. Yeah, Roger, I believe in the butterfly effect. Just as just as you becoming an American citizen and renouncing your British citizenship before this tournament has released England, a young England, a new England to play like this and succeed, I believe that my refusal to watch the penalty shootout, my selfless refusal, and to walk down to the tennis courts, that's what released Kieran Trippier, oh. Harry Kane, Eric Dyer to finally win a penalty shootout at the World Cup. I mean, astonishing. Here's what you missed. You missed Jordan Henderson, possibly the most English Englishness that ever Englished, when he missed, it felt like the Beatles had broken up all over again. And I felt like that was it. It just felt like the noose was around our neck. The familiar noose, the familiar comfort of the penalty kick noose. But then Arebe hit the crossbar. England scored again. At Gap Golfer tweeted, four of the five penalty kicks were scored by Spurs players against an Arsenal keeper. This must be what heaven feels like. And then Backer stepped up. Backer, Jordan Pickford, Oh, a young keeper who'd been maligned by pundits and Thibaut Courtois for being too short, for using his wrong hands. Backer hit the ball behind him and somehow he moved. He was diving away from it. He got that hand back and he 
pounded the ball away, just swatted it away. It was like watching an English Dikembe Mutombo. Who wants to sex Jordan Pickford? I want to sex Jordan Pickford. I mean, just the risks of a champion English onanist. You can change history. Everything felt possible. At Wayne Yaska tweeted, we shall fight in the corners. We shall fight in the penalty spot. We'll never, ever surrender. And then Eric Dyer, an amazing, amazing piece of mental fortitude. Grease up your English phone poles with Chris Go, because England, my God, it must have felt like Philadelphia uh, on Tuesday night. Gareth Southgate, Dave I mean, we adore him. We, we, we've mocked him, but we revere him in this moment. Just to recap, 1996, terrible penalty in the semi-final against Germany. Becomes a scapegoat for English failure. He's talked about it being a wound that will never heal, that it still haunts him. But at the same time, he said he's used, he's tapped into that trauma and turn it into a life lesson and use that life lesson to lead his nation to victory. It's like an archetype ripped from mythology, like a Moses who can lead his people to enter a promised land that he can never access himself. What, what, what did you see uh, at full time when he sank to his knees, arched his back, pumped his fists into the Moscow night sky, like, like, like Freddie Mercury, but alive, just alive? He actually deflected it away from him in the press conference afterwards and said, no, this didn't heal his own wounds of missing that penalty against Germany in 96 because that will always stay with him. But I think he's a, he's, a, he's a manager and you can just tell from all of his language that he cares a lot about this job. He cares a lot about this team. He cares about these boys. He cares about these kids. And he just, must, he just was so made up for them as the whole nation was. And that was just a great, great feeling. And that is a collective monkey off this nation's backs, Rog. Whatever happens now, we've won a penalty shootout at the World Cup. I will say, classy Southgate walked over to Baca, the Colombian who failed with his final penalty, as Southgate had once done, and consoled him. And then he said to the media, when something goes wrong in your life like it did for me, it doesn't finish you. You should become braver, knowing that you've got to go for things in life and don't regret because you didn't try to be as good as you might be. And these are words of wisdom to live by. These transcend football. These are remarkable nuggets from some Southgate. He said, we're trying to write our own history. That's what I told the players. They write their own stories. We don't have to be bowed by the pressure of the past. This is the gift of resiliency that he's given these kids. We see a yeah. young, fearless England side ready to believe. He has given them grit. He's given them tenacity. They sound like American traits, these. They really do. But really, to me, when I heard him, I heard Churchill. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. All of this, what we watched, totally transcends football. As does the fact, Davo, that as many English journalists have pointed out, Kane's father, born in Ireland. Dyer is essentially Portuguese. Sterling, born in Jamaica. Lingard's grandparents came from St. Vincent. Ali's father, Nigerian. I mean, they represent England, a, a bold, a bold England that is the opposite of Brexit in every single way. I'll just sum up with the final line of Dunkirk. Well done, the blind man says. And the soldier says, all we did is survive. And the blind man says, that's enough. That's enough. It was, it was fantastic, David. It wasn't pretty, but it felt utterly, utterly, utterly beautiful. How and when did you find out? Where I was, I couldn't get any phone service, Rob. So <laughs> I started like, trying to refresh my phone. I got nothing. So I just gave up and I, I just released myself 
to the butterfly effect and the world, Rog, and fate, destiny, sweet destiny. And as I'm walking back towards the clubhouse, I see a lone golf cart coming towards me. My son, George, running towards me from the golf cart saying, England won, England won, <laughs> Eric Dyer, oh, England won. Jumps into my arms. And this is a seven-year-old boy who has never known an England losing a penalty shootout. The most remarkable thing. That, that, uh, that, so that, that's that's what's amazing. My boys are all, all three of my boys are at summer camp, seven weeks. They shut out the outside world. They have no electricity. Somehow they set up a rig that allowed them to, I found out, they sent me video of them watching this, the, the penalty shootout. My older boys will know just how Southgate reshaped history, how he showed that you can be your own person, write your own story. My youngest, who's just eight, all he knows is England that wins. He, they, they have no context, the young, and that's a fantastic, that's a fresh start that your son has, that my son has, that everyone who's watching England for the first time at this World Cup have. The question is now, Sweden, in the quarterfinals, England believes now. Guardian journalist Hadley Friedman uh, wrote about a friend uh, who compared England to, quote, one of those crazy people who goes on a single good date and immediately starts planning the wedding. Yeah, England fans, they're all a bit like Pete Davidson. One date and we're all getting Ariana Grand tattoos. But Sweden are eight, Davey. A matchup the Swedish papers have called Harry Potter against Pippi Longstocking. Give us a temperature read on what your delegates say. Look, England are a better team than Sweden, and England should beat them. Sweden, no disrespect. They've got very defensive, they're physical, they're also good from set pieces, but they don't have the spark that England can have when they're playing at their best. They don't have the speed of a Raheem Sterling or Marcus Rashford, the inventiveness of Lingard, Deli Ali, or Loftus-Cheek. They don't have a stone-cold killer like Harry Kane. If England plays to their ability, they should beat them. But this is World Cup football. It's a World Cup quarterfinal. It will be very close. I've been to two England games against Sweden in World Cups in 2002, just outside Tokyo, in 2006. Joe Cole scored that amazing goal. Both games ended in 1-1 draws. These are two teams that know a lot about each other, play a lot of similar football. It'll be close, but I think England are good enough. Sweden away. They're extremely organised. They delight in playing with that chip on the shoulder uh, that they've finally been freed from Zlatan's shadow after all these years. I will say England underestimates Sweden at their peril. I remember when we were in the quarterfinals against Cameroon in 1990, uh, a, a team that were the, the, just the unexpected darlings of that World Cup, and we just, just, just scraped by. And afterwards, England manager Bobby Robson said, uh, we didn't underestimate them. We just didn't think they'd be that good. And if we, if we bring that spirit into this game, then we're really effed. But I, I, I imagine Southgate knows what's got him to this place and he's going to bring the same dedication, the same focus, and I do believe England can do it. We're going to end by taking a shot of Jägermeister. You're in the car, so you are exempt from any yeah. such alcoholic <laughs> beverages. But I'll take two shots, one for you, one for me. Hold on. Mm. Oh, that's uh, Jägermeister. Better and better the further Germany get from this tournament. Uruguay, France, Davo. What does your non-Jägermeister drinking mind tell us that one's going to end up as? I tell you, if Cavani was playing, I'd say Uruguay. Without him, France. I think the European team is going to do it. Yeah, I agree. If the Salto twins are on that field, Suarez and Cavani, there will be an upset. Otherwise, it's going to be all France. Brazil, Belgium. I 
think it's goodbye, uh, goodbye Belgium. I think right now this is Brazil's Brazil's tournament to lose. Yeah, it is the final that I'd love to see. To be honest, Brazil. I have to believe that that seven-one, the memory of that seven-one, will propel them pragmatically through this game. And Russia, Croatia, Davo, the old Eastern European derby. I think Croatia are the better team, Rog but I find it difficult to bet against Russia at home. Yeah, it's going to be 10-0. No collusion, no collusion, no collusion. You're the puppet. Russia in the semi-finals. We will be breaking down the first of those games. Uruguay, France, Brazil, Belgium in Philadelphia, live on stage with some truly, truly delicious guests tomorrow night. We can't wait to be with you. There's going to be a drink afterwards at Kavanaugh's. So even if you couldn't get a ticket because the show is sold out, as is the one in Boston. We are in you in the 11th. Look out on our social for where we're doing a drink after the show and we will raise a bud with you. In Boston, I'll just say we've got some bull guests and they're going to be beautiful. We are celebrating the final in New York City. Look at meninblazers.com. It's only with Charlie XCX, Davo XCX, Rog XCX, as well as just added, and I can't wait for this, Megan Rapino. Is going to break down the World oh, Cup final with us. Oh, she Brilliant. is the greatest. Come be with us. That event is free. It's a Budweiser event. You can sign up via meninblazers.com. And then finally, Atlanta. You've been patient. Tickets are now on sale for our uh, Atlanta show at the Tabernacle. It's only going to be with Wacker Flocker, Dave. I crap you not, Flockavelli. <laughs> <laughs> Vendorpunk Rod. War Pig. Who wants the sex Matombo? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To Tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. I'm going to be wearing a waistcoat on stage on Friday night. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rod. Love you, England.